Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's the beginning of a new decade. Times Square revelers say goodbye to the turbulent 70s with a rowdy welcome to 1980. The birth of a new decade comes with promises of hope. Together, let us make this a new beginning. Great national crusade to make America great again. When Ronald Reagan emerges onto the scene, there is this promise of redefining the American dream. The face of that dream is the affluent Chicago suburb of Libertyville, Illinois, with its stately homes, private schools, and a traditional nuclear family. Dad commuting to work, mom staying home with the kids. In Libertyville at that time, there were many middle to upper class families. I moved to Libertyville in 1976 when I was gonna be in eighth grade. My dad heard it had a really nice school system and it was close to the commuter line. You know, there were a lot of professionals there. Libertyville at the time is really an it community, a place where anybody from Chicago who was making it big would gladly move their family to. Chicago's North Shore is such a symbol of affluence. It's the go-to setting for the teen films that would go on to define the decade. John Hughes is making films that depict the North Shore of Chicago as the place to be. These are films about kids burdened with parents who give and expect the best. The kind of life Robin Rouse is living. Pretty and popular. Dashing about town in her sports car. Robin is the envy of Libertyville. Robin was the all-American girl. The girl of the, uh, the rich family in town. Robin got everything she wanted. Nice sports car, Lake Forest Academy to go to high school. I grew up in Libertyville. Robin was a few years older than me. She was very sweet, very loving, and all the little kids looked up to her. 
Robin and her brothers, Billy and Kurt, live in the biggest house in Libertyville. It was big property, and it was a nice big white house with a three-car garage. The multi-million dollar 13-room estate also has a pool and servants' quarters. It's a dream mansion that really people are very much enamored of in this particular time and place because it's the suburban dream, the American dream, right? The Rouse kids have every advantage handed to them, but their parents came from much more humble beginnings. I wouldn't say that the Rouses were privileged. Mr. and Mrs. Rouse worked very hard. Bruce and Darlene were high school sweethearts. She married him right out of high school, and he started by working in a filling station. At age 21, he owns his first gas station, and that is just a sign of things to come. And then they bought another one, and another one. She worked right side by side with him until they had the three kids. Bruce got up early, went to work early, and Bruce worked till late. He was a hard-working man, and that's how he built his business. By 1980, 44-year-old Bruce has turned his gas station job into an empire and is a self-made millionaire. The Rouses had gas stations and service stations, not only in Libertyville, but in surrounding communities as well. But along with that cable TV holdings and land holdings, the Rouses want their children to take the opportunities they work so hard to give them, to follow in Bruce's footsteps and then leap beyond. He's able to give his kids the things he didn't have. The Rouse family is living out the dream in their larger community. And yet when the doors are closed, we do get another picture. The family's financial success has come with a high price. Bruce was never around. Bruce was a very hard worker. The only time I really saw him was if we went up and visited him at the station. He's building a business, and today we'd call it workaholism. I think back then we would call it the rugged individualism of the Reagan era. 38-year-old Darlene is too busy with charity work and several boards to notice that Bruce is never around. Often, neither of them gets home to have dinner with the kids. Bruce and Darlene had this vision and wanted to put forth this reputation or this image of, you know, being the leaders of the community. When Darlene is around, she's struggling to control three children who have everything, but lack responsibility. It's the ultimate generation gap. While Robin was the daughter that did all the right things, Kurt and Billy didn't go with the program. Darlene would talk to her friends about the difficulties they were having within the family. 15-year-old son Billy makes matters worse when he gets suspended from school. Billy had some trouble going on at that point. Had broken into the school and vandalized the library and had taken all the cards out of the card catalogs, had knocked all the books off of every shelf. Billy is acting out, trying to get his parents' attention because the real object of the family's concern his older brother, Kurt. Kurt had been a high school football player and a runner-up state champion wrestler. But now, the 21-year-old seems aimless and troubled. Kurt evolves from being a golden boy or a recognized athlete into being a wild child. And this creates tension. Latchkey kids around America, just like Kurt, were pushing back against their success-obsessed parents 
Kurt's main goal in life seemed to be getting back at Bruce and Darlene. He had the long hair, he had the beard, he was unemployed. Kurt was a rebel. You know, Kurt looked like Wolfman. And I liked him because he was different. He wasn't like a jock in high school. Kurt moves into his shack on the Rouse estate after his parents ask him to leave the main house. Kurt lived in the servants' quarters down the hill in the back. He didn't hang around with his family much. Kurt is aimless and unmotivated, abusing drugs and alcohol. He wasn't doing anything. I think that's some of the reason his parents weren't real happy because he'd gone to a really good school and had potential, but I don't know if he had ambition. Bruce and Darlene are at the end of their rope. But like many dysfunctional families in 1980s America, they do their best to hide their troubles at home. The night of Thursday, June 5th, is marked by violent rainstorms. There was a horrible thunderstorm that night. A lot of lightning, a lot of heavy rain. Probably one of the top five nights in my life of thunderstorms. You know, one of those nights you remember. Despite the dark weather brewing, 16-year-old Robin Rouse ventures out. Robin went out to a dance. She went out with friends. Shortly before midnight, Robin returns home and goes to bed. The crackling sounds of thunder and lightning briefly jolt her awake. And then, the last sound sleep Robin will ever have. Robin wakes up to a phone call. 8.30 a.m., the phone rings. And it's one of the employees from Rouse Automotive. They were wondering where Bruce is. Bruce is a disciplined early riser who always leaves for work at 6 a.m. Immediately, a red flag goes up. This is not the way Dad behaves. Robin nervously puts down the phone and heads to her parents' room. The house is completely quiet. When she opens the door to her parents' bedroom, what she sees is a horror that no child should ever have to live through. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The upscale enclave of Libertyville, Illinois, is the last place anyone would expect to find a grisly murder scene. But that's exactly what 16-year-old Robin Rouse encounters when she opens the door to her parents' bedroom. It was quickly obvious that a gruesome occurrence had taken place. As worse of a scene as I've ever seen. You're seeing something that no one should see, and particularly when it's your parents. In a state of hysteria, Robin runs to wake up younger brother Billy. Robin tells him to call 911. Yeah, this is Billy Rouse. My parents were killed in bed. With the traumatic scene before him, Billy covers the gory remains of his parents' bodies with a sheet. He then runs to older brother Kurt's cottage behind their home to tell him about their parents' horrifying murder. Police arrive quickly, and they're not alone. Neighbors are gathering, television crews are there, media people are there. Local CBS reporter Mary Laney quickly joins the growing number of people at the Rouse residence, anxious to find out what was going on. We hadn't been given a lot of details except that there was a man and woman found shot to death. The bodies were found at 8.30 this morning by the couple's daughter, 16-year-old Robin. Her 15-year-old brother, Billy, called police. Both had been in the house at the time of the murders. Their 20-year-old brother, Kurt, lives in a cabin 100 yards behind the house. He, too, was in last night. The kids, they just seemed shocked. They weren't talking to anybody. I remember thinking how sad all three of them looked and how awful that whole thing was. This morning, friends and family came to console the three. Each expressed disbelief. The Rouses were well-known and well-liked here. The husband and wife, leading members of the community, murdered in an incredibly brutal manner. Kurt's girlfriend, Tracy Graham, hears about the murders from a friend. And my girlfriend, Kelly, called me. She and her boyfriend, Richard, they saw all these cops there. When Tracy arrives, she finds the well-manicured Rouse lawn overrun by swarms of people. And I found Kurt, and he hugged me. He just wanted to get away from the, all the buzz. We were both just in such shock. Overwhelmed, Kurt agrees to speak briefly with the press. All I know is that both my parents are dead, 
it's kind of it's the kind of thing you know you never think can happen to anybody. While Kurt and his siblings stay outside, a forensics team enters the sprawling home to take a closer look at the carnage. The room had been ransacked. Drawers have been pulled out, stuff scattered around the room. I'm very much in disorder. A lot of blood. The wall behind the bed was splattered with blood. Darlene's head basically had been blown off. She had an imprint of the barrel of the gun just above her right eye. Obviously, it had been compressed or pressed against her head. It's likely Darlene died instantly, but Bruce suffers a far more brutal death. Blunt trauma evidence on his head. He's been not only shot, but beaten. There were six stab wounds in his left chest. There was blood about those stab wounds. So obviously his heart was still beating, his circulation was still occurring. He was still alive when those occurred. Whoever perpetrated this crime wanted to make absolutely 100% sure beyond any doubt that Bruce and Darlene Rouse would not survive. Investigators quickly identify the likely murder weapon. This was a shotgun blast. Because of the pellets that were visible in the furniture, the pellets that were visible in, uh, particularly in Darlene's face. Initial determination was that a 16 or 12 gauge shotgun was used. Billy tells police that Bruce owned several guns, but none are found during a search of the home. Darlene's jewelry is also missing. There's a lot of questions, is this a robbery or not? Police comb the house for clues that could lead them to the killer. Typically, evidence that you're looking for is from transference something from them is transferred from them onto the scene. That could be fingerprints, that could be hair, that could be fiber off of the clothes that they wear. So in, in a murder scene like this, everything is collected. While investigators work inside, Rob and Billy and Kurt witness the gruesome spectacle of their parents' bodies leaving their home for the last time on stretchers. People are afraid at this time. Everybody was wondering who did it and what happened. Now police need to speak with the kids. Kurt tells them he spent the evening with his girlfriend. We went out to the bluffs, and then we went back to his place. And it was about 11.30, and I said, I have to go. Billy Rouse told police he spent some time with friends and was out until about 11 o'clock. Billy adds that he had a brief conversation with his mother. She asked him if everything was okay with him. Then Darlene went to bed, Billy went up to watch television. Billy recounts his evening with a numb detachment, but his sister Robin is overcome by grief. So distraught that police are encouraging her to go to the hospital to get some immediate attention, immediate help. Robin refuses to go to a hospital. Instead, the Rouse children leave their family home. The Rouse children are staying with relatives, and Lake County Sheriff's Police are going over the seven acres of property here with a fine-tooth comb, hoping to find the weapons used in the murders and perhaps the person responsible for them. Mary Laney, Channel 2 News in unincorporated Libertyville. The day after their parents are murdered, the Rouse kids wake up to a new horror. Someone took a photograph, and it was in the next day Chicago Tribune killings. The article quotes an investigator who concludes the Rouses were killed by someone with a lot of hate. 
The reporter doesn't accuse the Rouse children of killing their parents, but their photos above the headline imply guilt by association. People in Libertyville start to whisper amongst themselves about the family and what they saw as this picture-perfect existence may be a facade. Everybody, you know, wanted to blame point fingers and, and, you know, the court of public opinion can get together pretty fast. The people in the neighborhood thought all three took part in the killing of the parents. Is this the American dream or is this, you know, something else? Is there something more sinister that happened inside this household? Neighbors, whose suspicions are fueled by the media coverage of the murders, find it hard to believe that none of the Rouse kids, all home at the time, heard the fatal shots. It was a very loud, banging thunderstorm that night, which is why the police say, well, maybe they couldn't hear it. But the neighborhood rumor mill is on overdrive. There was just this big spectacle of everybody gawking. Everybody, you know, wanted to blame point fingers. There were drugs and alcohol and problems with them that the neighbors seemed to be aware of. Among wealthy families in 80s suburbia, the Rouse's adolescent struggles are hardly unique. But the lurid coverage turns public opinion against the Rouse kids. Look at all the money those kids stand to inherit. Are they really that innocent? Aware of the negative stories circulating, their concerned aunt advises them to lawyer up and shut down. A scheduled meeting between the Rouse kids and police is canceled. There's lawyers there saying you're not gonna talk to the children. With the kids in lockdown, police are on their own. One important trail that police want to double back over is the business success of Bruce Rouse. The father of three was a wealthy owner of several gas stations and real estate holdings in the Chicago area. A lot of anonymous tips and a lot of people coming up with uh, potential grudges between Bruce and people related to his business. One in particular stands out. The woman that calls into police is so frightened that she relates very limited details. This anonymous tip from the woman talked about shady business dealings between Bruce and Darlene and the Mafia. Police pressed for more details about the possible connection between the Mafia and the murders. But the woman returns to the same frightened state that marked the beginning of her communication with police. She hangs up. We're talking about the 1980s. There's no caller ID. As police do what they can to follow up on the intriguing tip, another call comes in. It's Kurt with an unusual request. He asked them if the impounded 1973 Cadillac that belonged to his mother could be released. He needed a car to get out to California. He wants to get away from Lake County. He wants to get away from the murder. Requests like these begin to cast a shadow over Kurt Rouse and what his connection might be to the murder of his parents. Police soon find out more about Kurt's troubled relationship with his parents from an unexpected source. Mary Laney, Channel 2 News in unincorporated Libertyville. I think it was because I was on the air that people knew who I was. So they felt safe in talking to me. 
Mary Laney tells police about a meeting she had with a Rouse family friend with a disturbing story to tell. Mary reported to the police that the man started crying when, when he started talking. He has information he wants to relay to her about a conversation he had with Darlene Rouse just before the murders occurred. Mary agrees to meet with him in private. He was very despondent. He had been told by Darlene Rouse that she had been having extreme difficulties with Kurt, and she and Bruce were having a constant disputes with him. Kurt was out of control. They wouldn't even give Kurt the key to get in the house. Mary source goes on to explain that Kurt was having money problems. Kurt demanded $10,000 from them, and if they were to give him $10,000, he would leave. Darlene Rouse refused. Kurt's response to his mother was, you'll be punished for this by the Lord. A picture emerged that there was violence in that house. This man felt very strongly to the point where he was crying that Kurt Rouse may be uh, involved in the murders of Bruce and Darlene. And he's not the only person with troubling stories to share. There are multiple leads coming in with people talking about Kurt. Very close friend of Darlene Rouse told authorities that the Rouses were moving in a direction that would keep Kurt off of the family property and with a court order to seal it. Police now have a clear motive. Kurt was angry at his parents for refusing to give him money and possibly cutting him out of their will. Each of the children was going to inherit about $1.3 million. Definitely, people have been murdered for much less. Two months after Darlene and Bruce Rouse are murdered in their home, a sheriff deputy startling admission. On the day the murder was discovered, their daughter Robin told him her brother Kurt might be connected to the killings. Before Robin said anything more, her aunt abruptly ended the questioning. The Rouse kids continue to be in lockdown mode. Normally, people want to cooperate, but in situations like this, this emotional, there is no script. It's very frustrating. Police have been following up on leads that go nowhere. The Rouse children, especially Robin, who's living with her aunt, seem adrift. She withdrew a lot. She didn't want to go out with her friends. She was so distraught and so upset. The whole thing was so very sad. Then suddenly, on a cold October morning, an unexpected discovery brings renewed hope to the stalled investigation. A surveyor was walking along the Des Plaines River, which is close by to where this homicide took place. And he stumbles across what he at first thought was a pole sticking out of the water, which subsequently turned out to be a shotgun. He calls police. Police send in a dive team. Police and fire department divers search the Des Plaines River for further key evidence in the violent gunshot and stabbing murders of Bruce and Darlene Rouse. The team spends hours searching the bottom of the murky river, recovering item after item. We found Darlene Rouse's purse, her driver's license, her social security card, fired 16-gauge shotgun shells, and all of the guns that were missing from the Rouse residence. It was obvious that what was found were the, the items taken from the Rouse house on 
the night of June 5th, 1980. Perhaps fingerprints on the recovered possessions will point in the direction of the killers. Well, I definitely I think it's uh, the center of the puzzle, uh, for sure. It will be very beneficial to us. Police believe with the recovery of the guns, the clothing, and the jewelry, they are close to resolving what happened in this house the night of June 6th. Firearms that were found in the Des Plaines River were looked at by Northern Illinois Crime Lab. But there was not a fingerprint on it, on the bag, on the jewelry, on anything. So that just made the mystery bigger. Police are discouraged by yet another dead end. But they are able to verify one important fact. Examination at the Northern Illinois Crime Lab of the weapons found that they did belong to Bruce Rouse. And that, on top of clues that this was a rage-fueled murder, supports their belief that this was an inside job. This was truly a murder that was covered up by a staged burglary. The thing that really sticks out in my mind was how much anger and how much passion was really involved in this killing. Within the year, all the Rouse kids move out of state. They leave behind terrible memories, possible secrets, and a stalled investigation. As a cold case investigator, I look for that person, that lead that comes up that didn't get followed up on. Very standard on murder cases that are unsolved that you reapproach the cases from time to time. You look at who's most likely going to be the person to give you information, to change your story. And that's what detectives did with Robin. A lot of people pointed the finger at Kurt. Police hope Robin may finally be ready to tell them what she knows about what happened to her parents. Robin Rouse, of all people surrounding the crime, may be the most willing to talk the one child that had the closest relationship with her parents, the one who discovered the bodies. Robin has finished high school, holds a steady job, and is about to begin college. She's moved from the upscale Chicago suburb where the murders took place to start a new life in Racine, Wisconsin. After all these years, police believe Robin may be their best bet among the Rouse kids to help them solve the mysterious killings. There was a lot of rumors going around that Robin knew who did it. That Robin was going to come forward and was going to talk about one of her brothers committing the murder of their parents. The detectives approached Robin uh, to see if she had any information uh, about the murders. But another stormy evening destroys their chances to meet with her forever. Robin was driving on a, on a rainy night and then loses control of her car and slams into a tree. I remember my mom saying, oh my gosh, Robin was killed in a car accident. And it just broke my heart. Whatever Robin knew about the brutal murder of her parents died with her on that rainy night really dealt a blow to the investigation. You know, Robin truly was one of the, the final leads the investigators had of solving this case. With Robin dying, that was gone. It's been 15 years since Bruce and Darlene Rouse were viciously murdered in their bedroom. Over time, the case went cold. Kurt is living in California, far away from suspicions that he may have gotten away with murder. 
He purchased some land in California, turns his life around, gets married, and starts a family. Whatever good Kurt Rouse made of his inheritance, Billy made nothing but bad. Billy winds up living in Key West, where he hosts fellow drug addicts and indigents, living an existence that by all accounts is squalid. Squandered his money, didn't have a real good relationship with the law, just never really got it together. On September 15th, 1995, Illinois investigators get a call about Billy that might finally break the Rouse murder case wide open. We were notified by Libertyville Police Department that they had been contacted by police in Key West, Florida, advising them that Billy Rouse had been arrested on two bank robberies. Sergeant Dave Ostertag and his partners head to Key West. They hope Billy, feeling vulnerable behind bars, will be more likely to tell the truth about that fateful night in 1980. Billy's in custody. This is our opportunity. This is the chance that we've been looking for for 15 years to potentially solve this case. We approached Billy to see if he would talk to us, and Billy was willing to talk to us. They sense emotion welling up inside of him and something even more dark about to surface. He looked like he was going to throw up. Uh, he was very, very, very upset, uh, to the point where I asked Billy if he was okay. He says, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just having a hard time dealing with it. I'd just like a night to think about it before I talk to you guys tomorrow. On October 13th, 1995, investigators believe Billy may finally tell them what happened on that stormy night so long ago. You called stupid so many times by your own parents. Billy had not talked to a single person in those 15 years a word about the murders of his parents. I decided I was going to get rid of them. So I walked in the room, took the 16 gauge, put it up to her head, and the trigger went off. Shockingly, after 15 years of suspicions that it was older brother Kurt who killed their parents, Billy confesses to the murder himself. He gives a blow-by-blow -blow account of what led him to commit the unthinkable. And he described this relationship between Darlene and, and him that it just disintegrated. There's been times that I don't come home. Unless I saw him, the happier I was. And I felt like an outcast. Because I could never do anything right. That's the way they put it off to me, I could never do nothing right. For the first time, Billy tells investigators the real story about what happened when he arrived home after an evening of drinking and drugs on the night of June 5th. My mom, she looked at me and she goes, oh, you know, it's a glossy again, I see. And she don't even smoke a pot again. I said, no, I won't smoke a pot. She says, you smell like liquor. I said, yeah, what about it? And then she says, yeah, don't worry about it. You're going to be shipped off the military school. I'm just over it. You're going to be just like your brother. You moron. Darlene goes off to bed, but Billy stays up and stews in his anger. He got some of Bruce's whiskey, and he just kept fuming about his mother. He'd also been consuming mushrooms. And the effect 
between the two of those substances and the more bitter substance of rage and hate. That was all the fuel he needed to pick up a gun and get down to dirty work. And he got out his father's 16-gauge shotgun. Walks to the kitchen, picks up a knife. Billy crept into the master bedroom, shielded by darkness and the raging storm. And then 15-year-old Billy placed the barrel of the gun between his mother's eyes and pulled the trigger. She died instantly. And it was his mother he wanted to kill, not his father, but his father woke up. My dad sat up real quick, looked at me, trigger went off again. It wasn't that good of a shot. I ran around the other side, started hitting him with the butt of the gun. That didn't work, he was still. And I didn't want him, I didn't want him in misery. So I grabbed the knife and I stabbed him, and then went until he quit moving. On killing his parents, Billy Rouse has the presence of mind to think this has to look like a robbery. I just make it look something somebody else did. He ransacked the bedroom. He took the jewelry box and his mother's purse. He'd gone up and gotten the guns, and he loaded all of them. Packs them in his father's car, and drives out to the Des Plaines River, dumps everything in the river. Billy considered fleeing, but realized that would make him look guilty. So I turned back around and went back home. And I fell asleep. And then next thing I know, my sister woke me up. The 37-minute confession gives police all the information they could hope for. Billy is extradited back to Libertyville. I found out that Billy Rouse admitted to killing his parents when they served him with a subpoena my front door. The assistant state's attorney, who will now prosecute the case, says he doesn't know why Rouse waited 15 years to admit to the killing. When the media came out and said that Billy was arrested for the murder, at first I didn't believe it. And he let his brother be blamed all those years. And then how terrible it had to be for Kurt to find out that his brother really, really did it. I just want to say, I didn't do it. I don't know who did it. I don't know if my brother's guilty or innocent. That's all I want to say. Kurt's anguished court testimony, along with Billy's detailed tape confession, convinces the jury of his guilt. After only eight hours of deliberation, Billy is convicted on two counts of murder. In October of 1996, 16 years after the murder, Billy Rouse is sentenced to a total of 80 years in prison. He had no regret whatsoever about killing his mother, but he said he was sorry for killing his dad. In the end, the person that he was saddest about hurting was his sister, Robin. She really my sister. In Libertyville, the infamous story of a son who so violently turned against his wealthy, overachieving parents has not been forgotten. There's still talk of it today which means that it's on a lot of people's minds, as well as my own, of what happened back then. A tragic tale of the picture-perfect family 
and their ugly reality lurking in the shadows. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.